our series title uh, for Ephesians. And if you're just catching up, you want to uh, go back, we do keep these on our website. You can find them on our Facebook page as well. Uh, our title is Identity Surrendered. This is a letter that challenges uh, the identity of people who are newer to the faith, newer to the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is. And so we get a chance all these years later to interact with this truth. It's called Ephesians, and so it was written to uh, the church at Ephesus, but it really is a universal letter, has a lot of general truth uh, that was good for Christians everywhere in the early church and, of course, uh, for us now uh, as well. I want to start off about half a world away uh, this morning. I have a picture for you. Some of you may, uh, may recognize this or uh, be familiar with the events in a country called Myanmar. Uh, Myanmar is formerly Burma. Uh, maybe you remember Burma from geography class. Uh, it's down in Southeast uh, Asia. And you may wonder why on earth uh, I'm talking this morning about uh, Myanmar. Well, uh, if you don't know, uh, Myanmar recently had a lot of political uh, turmoil. Uh, their military actually uh, overthrew the democratic uh, government and uh, has taken control of the country, uh, which has put the Christians in that country in a very precarious position. Uh, Christians in Myanmar are a minority of about 5%. And so in that type of an atmosphere where the military has now taken uh, control of the country, if you're a 5% minority, you don't know how well your views are going to be represented or maybe even um, rejected or oppressed by a new government uh, led by the military. It's a highly Buddhist uh, nation, and Christians are a minority. But I'm, I'm inspired when other Christians in other parts of the world are going through situations that I really can't fathom. I can't really fathom being in Myanmar right now and having the government completely just uh, taken over by the military because they disagree with a person. That's, I can't really get my mind around that. But, but here's uh, one of the headlines uh, that I read in an article. It says, despite becoming more vulnerable and disconnected following last week's military takeover, the country's Christian minority steps out in prayer and protest. All right, so they didn't go into hiding. They didn't say, well, we're not going to follow Jesus because we're not allowed to publicly and the wrong person, uh, the, 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 we don't like the military. No, they have, have stepped out in prayer and made themselves visible and known and have joined uh, the protest. Uh, I found, uh, here's another quote from an article. Evangelicals make up just under 5% of the country's population and are its largest religious minority. Despite the risk of retribution, some Christian institutions and individual pastors have spoken out. I love it. I love the spirit that says no matter what happens to us, even if the military that has taken over the government would crack down on us because of what we believe, we're going to speak out. We're going to make ourselves known. We're going to make ourselves available to other people who may be lost or hurting or confused because of the events of what's going on. I love that spirit in Christianity. And even though it's not... Um, prominent in these six verses, there's some things that are going on in the, in the way that Paul is communicating to these Ephesians where it's good for us to ask ourselves what captivates us. Uh, if you missed the title this morning, I'll go back to it. Captivated. Uh, you heard this word mystery several times, and I'm going to explain that as we go along, but we captivated by God's mystery. What captivates us? I hope today that we are drawn 
into Christianity. Maybe you're listening today and you haven't decided, uh, made, made a commitment to follow Christ. Maybe today's that day. Listen. Maybe you've been a believer for a long time. My goal is always um, that we would use these opportunities in our study of the Word of God to come closer to who Jesus is. And, and certainly, as we look at the passage today, we'll feel a greater unity uh, with some uh, brothers and sisters in the faith in different parts of the world. All right. So a little bit of background, a little bit of uh, bringing this uh, forward. Uh, praise the Lord for uh, Doug Knox a couple of Sundays ago and for Pastor Bud last week uh, preaching in, in my absence and during my illness. I, I, I praise the Lord to, to be back with you today. I've really been looking forward to being back uh, preaching today, and so uh, I'm glad to get back into Ephesians. So a little bit of background. Uh, Paul uh, knows what God revealed. Verse 1, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. All right. What Paul experienced in his conversion was difficult. His conversion, if you go back to Acts chapter 9, uh, you can make a note, uh, ACTS, Acts chapter 9, and you can read that, and it has the story of his conversion. The circumstances were difficult. He was so convinced as a Jew that he was right in persecuting those who were believing in Jesus as the Messiah to the Jewish people and the Messiah to the world. He was convinced he was right in doing that. And he had this jolting experience where Jesus literally shows up to him on the road to Damascus and converts him. And, and he becomes a follower of Jesus and he becomes a loud mouthpiece for the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. And here in verse 2 we see uh, the stewardship of God's grace. And so we would continue to, prevent an, uh, to present an encounter with Jesus Christ as a forceful experience. It is a forceful love of God that brings great change for us. It's not a passive love that's designed for a short encounter or an emotional experience. It's a forceful love. It's a forceful thing uh, in our lives, a, a positively forceful thing that changes us and leads us to, to obedience. It leads us to an entirely new worldview. It leads us to a new set of priorities and understanding about God and creation in the world and, and the purpose for our lives. Now, Paul mentions God's grace. He says he's a steward of that. And so uh, we're not talking about earning God's favor. We're talking about living be underneath the grace that God has given us in Jesus. So we want to care well and steward well, like Paul mentioned, the grace of God. But if we look at how he addresses the Ephesians, uh, think about how he met the Ephesians, how he began there. His introduction to the place was during a riot. Uh, that was incited by opposition to who Jesus was. And then years later, he writes where? Verse 1, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Not a prisoner of the Roman government. Not a prisoner of the Jews. A prisoner for Christ Jesus. We'll get back to that in a moment. And so more opposition. But he knows what God has revealed and its grace Earlier in the letter, he reminded them, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And this grace of God for sinners 
to turn and have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is a very, very challenging message, and it comes with opposition because not everybody believes in, in that relationship with God and, and having that through Christ. Now, Paul knows what God has revealed, and he, he, he assumes all believers should as well. Assuming you've heard of the stewardship of the grace of God. Well, of course they had heard of the grace of God. These people in Ephesus became Christians because of Paul's ministry to them there. So it's almost, um, uh, it's not an if. He's just kind of referring to them like, I know this is, this is what you know. <laughs> you became Christians because of, of my ministry and others, others' ministry there that has carried on. And so when you get to verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, well, God has made known things to Paul. Paul made known the things to them. Paul knew it, and they should have known it. That's the background. That's where we're picking up in chapter 3. And as we go along today, uh, we will see the explanation of this mystery come into view as far as what it means in how God is working. Mysteries naturally captivate our attention. I remember sitting in elementary school and watching a, a film and they used to, uh, I, I'm so old that I used to get excited on a certain afternoon of the week and they would wheel this projector and it had these, I forget even what they call the projector, but it had actual film and it spun around and it made this noise and we all got excited because we felt like we get to watch a movie in the middle of class. Like, Ooh. But they played this movie about Amelia Earhart I had never heard of Amelia Earhart before, and uh, I was like, whoa, like she totally, nobody has any idea what happened. Oh, man, like uh, I remember sitting there in like fourth grade or fifth grade or whatever it was, and uh, just kind of scratching my head, like how could she disappear? Somebody's got to solve this. Somebody's got to figure it out. And a lot of times in mystery, we feel that way. Something has happened, and we don't know, and we want to know uh, the, the outcome. We want to know why. We want to know the explanation. Well, uh, I will give you a hint today that as we encounter the word mystery in Ephesians chapter 3, it's not that kind of a mystery that we're waiting for some human to figure out. It's, it's used in a little bit of a different way. So the question to us today as we go along is what captivates us? The elements that Paul gives here in this letter are really enticing. They're really exciting when we look at the way he presents this to them as far as what he knows and what they should have known. And one of the first things that we see is uh, God's timing. And that's in uh, verse 5. Um, look in verse 4 uh, before I get into verse 5. You can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. The goal is it, for Paul to write this is to help them understand what he knows and to show them more deeply. And in verse 5, what do we see? It is not made known to sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy, prophet, holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. I think I messed that prophet up order twice now. <laughs> I'll be able to read, I promise. What captivates us? Right out of the bat, right out of the gate here, look at how Paul talks about God's timing. This truth of who Jesus was it was implied all throughout the Old Testament. You could go clear back to uh, Genesis chapter 12 and look at Abraham and God's encounter with Abraham, and you could see how he promised that Abram would be a blessing 
to all the families on earth, all nations would be a blessing. But they didn't quite understand there would be a redeemer named Jesus. And even though uh, the pattern of Old Testament prophecy and Old Testament events pointed in that direction, they didn't know it fully. And Paul is making that clear here in verse 5. It wasn't revealed fully to men, sons of men and other generations as it now has been in this time. I love God's timing. Some of you in this room or some of you watching may not uh, have either been a part of our church or may not remember at the end of 2017, we needed a roof for the flat part of this building and that roof was going to come up to about $80,000 and uh, at the meeting that we got this news that the roof was going to cost $80,000, we all looked around and said, do you have $80,000? No. But we talked about it, and the next day, the next day, it was confirmed to us that we would get an estate gift from somebody who had died months earlier, a gift in the amount of $80,000. I love God's timing. Nobody could put something like that together. Personally, I will never remember, or never, I'll never remember. <laughs> I haven't preached in a few weeks. Give me a little space here. All right? I will never forget, personally, about a year and a half ago. Boy, if I couldn't remember a year and a half ago, maybe y'all just need to have a little vote on the side and get somebody else up here. Whew. I'll never forget a year and a half ago when God aligned the timing of a season where I was really struggling, not as a, just as a pastor uh, of feeling a burden, uh, and probably an extra burden, taking too much burden on myself or our church and for our ministry, uh, but as an individual. And, and God, through his timing and through his circumstances, spoke to me from three different sources in three different ways about the parable of the prodigal son out of the book of Luke. Brought me into it in my devotions, allowed me to hear a sermon online, and then in a church service in a foreign country in Athens, Greece, on a Sunday morning, for the third day in a row, I'm brought into the truth of the prodigal son, and God, God shows me uh, in, that, in that parable uh, that he doesn't want me to, to carry the burden anymore. He, he reminds me, hey, there's great worth in your life and your service. Uh, go and be free and get to the basics of evangelism and disciple making. God's timing is incredible. We could spend the rest of our time today, probably at least another hour of, of, of all of you getting up and sharing stories about how God has worked things out at exactly the right time. And this is what's so captivating about Jesus. None of us are qualified to look at the grand scope of human history or the history of our planet and determine exactly when Jesus should have come. But God was. He knew exactly when Jesus needed to come, which means what? That today, a couple of thousand years after those events, here we are, and he knows the timing. He knows our needs. He knows what we need to do to honor our Lord, just like he knew what the original recipients of this letter would need to do. God's timing should captivate us. Uh, here's verse uh, 6 out of Romans 5. For while we were still weak, look, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God knew this. He knew when Jesus would come to make the perfect sacrifice for our sins. 
and his timing has always been a, a part of our lives. It's a part of when uh, Jesus came and a, a part of, of how we live our day-to-day lives. All right? So God's timing captivates us. The Spirit's work should captivate us. The Spirit's power should captivate us. I'm going to get this right. Verse 5, it was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Got it. Third time's a charm. Think about it in our day and age. Think about what captivates us. And I want to say specifically, think about what captivates believers. Too often, The answer to that is people and power. Our culture here in America and other Western cultures, too often we think that if God is going to do a big move, then there will probably be a mega church, a mega pastor, or a mega ministry involved. Now seriously, I'm not poking fun. I'm not necessarily against large ministries. I'm not. They do wonderful, wonderful things in our city locally and around the world. But this is how we are conditioned. We think often that the people with the biggest platforms or the most impressive gifts carry the day. What does Paul say about how the apostles and prophets... Now, many of us don't know the details of even who some of the early prophets of the church were. I'm just going to throw the name of one of them out. His name is Agabus. You ever heard of Agabus? He's in the book of Acts a couple of times. He's a very obscure character, but he was a prophet in the New Testament church and would have been a part of this group that Paul refers to. There were other people who had a ministry of the word. Many of them lived in obscurity, not in the big platform, and, and God used them to build on a foundation. But how did they get their message? Where did, it, where did it come from? The end of that verse 5 is so important. It's revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. God gives them the message. God gives anybody a message who's a steward of God's grace. We don't get it ourselves. We don't make it up ourselves. We don't just gather so we can... Say, hey, look at our church and our thing and look at how we are compared to other people. No, we gather because the Spirit of God has given a message to share. He's given us the Word of God to encourage and build up and rebuke and teach and correct. As we seek to follow Jesus, he's given us a message of hope, real healing and help. When life seems like it's going off the rails and it's not something that a human being is going to conjure up. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit who works in us. So the message doesn't originate from people. It comes from God himself. The Spirit gives the message. Which means that if God gave the message, then who gets the glory? He does. It's all rigged, so we don't have to worry about getting the glory. We're going to take and give that credit, give that glory back to him for what God is doing and not focus so much on the people involved. It can be very difficult. I'm not saying that like I think it's really easy to do. We can can mix those things up and those gray areas can really creep in. But I hope seeing that that, uh, there the spirit, maybe if you're somebody who likes to make notes in your Bible, you put a big 
circle around that, just to remind yourself that God is the one who's working and giving them everything that they need. He'll do the same for us. Praise the Lord. All right, lastly today, verse 6, the power to unify this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Mystery. Again, not the captivated fifth grade boy with the Amelia Earhart and the projector going, that's not the type of mystery. All right, this is a mystery that God held when Jesus would come at the right time. We've seen that timing today and we focus on that. That's the word mystery, is that God held it, but then revealed it at the right time. Maybe the timing seems like a mystery to us. But God delivers it and gives it exactly when it's supposed to be given. And it's given, look at the purpose, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Up until Jesus came, the focus of God's revelation and relationship was with his people, the people of Israel. We see that throughout the Old Testament. We see the Jews as front and center in their relationship with God. It wasn't that there weren't clues uh, of how the Gentiles would, would be included, and it wasn't that there weren't non-Jewish people in the Old Testament who, who partook in worship. There were. But for the most part, it was the Jewish people and their relationship with God. Now, so if you're new to this word Gentiles, basically what it means is non-Jewish people. It's, at its root, it actually means nations. It's all the nations besides Israel. So if uh, you and I don't have racial descent, our genealogy takes us back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, then we're Gentiles. We're of a nation that is not Jewish. And, and what captivates us is that God expands the relationship that he has with human beings outside of the nation of Israel and that Gentiles are fellow heirs. We inherit now the same promises of God. Members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The good news that Jesus has died, was buried in a tomb and rose from the dead. All of the power of that forgiveness and finality, and hope, and conquering the grave that we celebrate. We share it with the Jewish people. It's amazing how God can bring people together. We celebrate this morning the same Jesus they celebrate in Myanmar, in the difficulty that that country is enduring. Not only believers in Myanmar. How about those who are Jews by race, but yet are trusting Jesus as their Messiah? We are united with them. We're in the same body, partakers of the promise. Or how about in the country of Iran? It's the only country in the world with an Islamic theocracy. The Muslim God is supposed to be in control completely in Iran. And their, their policies and, and all of their laws uh, would, would be in line with what Islam says. Now, because the government is in control, their stats would say that Iran is 99 point whatever percent Muslim. They're over 99 percent Muslim. Surveys say otherwise. 
Surveys uh, of Iranians, uh, obviously anonymous, would say that a, a big chunk don't know what they believe. And information would also tell us that a significantly growing number of people in Iran are becoming Christians. Uh, I found this quote in an article this week. About 20 years ago, the number of Christian converts from a Muslim background was between five and 10,000 people. That's 20 years ago. So think about the year 2000, roughly. Today, that's between 800,000 to a million people. That really excites me to hear that. Now, that's a little over 1% of the total population of their country. But what this means is that as we read about what God is doing in believers around the world, that we can feel a part of it, and we can share in their success, and we can have a lot of joy. And we can know that they're praying for us. I've met some of the people from Iran, and they pray for us in America. They love us, and they want the church to succeed here. And they're familiar with some of the challenges we have, just like we're familiar with some of the challenges they have. Praise the Lord is, is what this means. It should captivate us that God's purpose, the mystery revealed at exactly the right time, is that he wants to unify the Jews and Gentiles together to be able to have faith in Jesus Christ. So in conclusion, what God has revealed is something that only he can reveal and only he held the timing. It is the message of grace. Grace. Something we're given that we don't earn or deserve. God gives us grace. If we will turn from our sin and repent and trust Jesus Christ for forgiveness and eternal life, we experience the grace of God. We want to live our lives for him and with him. The faith that Jesus Christ can bring us together from, and unify us with people from all around the world. That living for and serving Jesus would captivate our thinking to the point of risk, courage, excitement, and putting that common faith above any other priority we would ever have. That's the example of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians. Remember verse 1. This reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Not worried about the timing, not worried about where he was, worrying about how he can be a blessing to people and write them and encourage them so they would know Jesus. It's not a mystery we can't figure out. It's a mystery God has revealed and explained through people like Paul and followers down through the ages who are willing to serve Jesus no matter the cost. The question for us today is will we do the same? Do we experience the grace of God do we know that he loves us so very much? Does he captivate us enough to serve him no matter the challenge, no matter the difficulty?